At Real Vision, we're closing the doors. But not how you might think. You see, this autumn we're launching the new Real Vision, a platform built around the universal truth that knowledge times tools times network equals success, your success. It's the biggest transformation in our history and brings together everything you need in your journey from information to knowledge to wisdom, all in one place. That's incredible AI, charting tools, networking, economic data, watch lists, notes, and a whole ton more. We start rolling out to our current members at the end of August, and from August the 15th, we're closing the doors to any new members while we focus on that. But you do have one final chance to get in that door. Until August the 15th, you can level up for a whole quarter of Real Vision just for the price of $20.14. When you go to realvision.com forward slash last chance, you'll see why we chose that price in particular. It's something about Real Vision of old. You'll get to experience the new platform before the general public with no obligation to stay after that three months and a price that works out for like $6 a month. It's what you call a no-brainer. Anyway, I hope to see you on Real Vision. It's an incredible community and my God, this new platform is going to be extraordinary and will change as many lives as possible. That's realvision.com forward slash last chance. All right, let's get to the meat and potatoes of the show. And today it's a Friday. We've got Raul Paul with us. Um, I've got a lot to speak to him about. As I said to you, let's get Raul into the studio. Raul, welcome, my friend. Good to see you, my friend. Are you in a Big Cayman or Small Cayman? I'm in Big Cayman, in my house in Big Cayman. Oh, awesome, awesome. Listen, good to see you, my friend. I've got so much to talk to you about. I think a good place to start this is to talk about these tokens. In fact, I want to actually start this with an exercise that I did yesterday on Twitter. And what bothered me was we spend a lot of time researching what we think are the best altcoins on the market. We look at the fundamentals. We look at the usage. We look at the network effects. We look at everything else. And hopefully, we, we, we then invest in these tokens. But then when the market uh, bounces after a massive dip like the one that we had, the tokens that performed the best were the meme coins. Pepe went up 80%. Stacks went up 70%. Neo, a blockchain that I haven't heard about since 2017 or 2018, recovered 50%. And Solana, which I think is a very, very, very good token, didn't even recover. I mean, hardly even recovered. So then I went onto Twitter and I did a little poll and I said, look, if you were buying these for a two-year hold and no selling is allowed, what would you rather buy? Solana or Stacks? Solana or Pepe? Or Solana or Neo? And everyone said, over 70 or 80% of people said Solana, they'd buy Solana. How do you explain that with all of the sentiment and everyone thinking that Solana is a better token, all these meme coins actually recover quicker? What am I missing here? I'm, you know, I'm not sure. The vagaries of the market. I think a lot of it is that Solana is more of an investment. It's a larger cap token. It takes more to move it. And it's less driven by crazy punters who are the DGENs who are looking for the next, you know, thing that goes up 50% in a couple of days. So I just think it's a different bunch of participants, really. Because I think you're, I mean, I answered your survey as well, and I answered Solana. Um, and I'm long Solana. And I think really, the bigger tokens are going to be driven by money coming into the space overall. And then we had the regulatory issues where, you know, people are concerned. What does it mean? Solana and some of the others still have overhangs from FTX days and other stuff. 
while stuff like Neo, it doesn't have it. So it's part of that. And a lot of the time I just tell people it's all noise. So, you know, I think you go, you drive yourself crazy looking for the next big thing when in front of your eyes over time, if I look at my screen, Bitcoin's up 82% this year, ETH's up 57% and Solana's up 70%. I mean, that's pretty decent. Yeah, that is that is a decent return. But I just, I, I don't know, I get a little bit demotivated when I spend my whole day researching what I think are the best tokens out there. And I use the models and I use all the fund, the fundamentals and all the good foundations. And then the tokens that run are the dumb money. Fred came into the office two days ago and he said, yeah, you've, I'm following the dumb money. You haven't, and you, you and, haven't got the investors. So what you're doing is proper analysis. That needs kind of fresh capital into the space. What we've got is actually churning. You know, people flipping out of NFTs into Pepe, that kind of stuff. But what you're doing is saying, well, if new capital comes into the space, they're going to look for these fundamental proper opportunities. We're just not seeing new capital yet. What do you think? What is the thesis for new capital coming into the space? Is there light at the end of a tunnel when it comes to new capital coming out there? I mean, you've had Operation Choke Point. You've got Gary Gensler going crazy against all of the tokens and all of the providers and Binance and Coinbase. What's your thesis for new capital actually flowing in here? So my thesis has been always based on the liquidity cycle and macro. And the liquidity cycle for me bottomed in June last year, which is what ETH bottomed. Um, and then the confirmations came from other um, liquidity cycles that I used that bottomed in November, October, November. So I think liquidity rises from now on. And people just want a little bit more macro certainty. The Fed, like, we're stopping. No, we're not stopping. We're kind of stopping. Maybe we're not. Doesn't help people. But I think capital is soon to come. I think the BlackRock ETF is another way of bringing fresh capital into the space. Um, and so that's the real issue is just it's a dead market right now. And it's just us lot moving money around. And until you bring in new people. Now, I'm... I have a different view on the US regulations. I kind of don't care. You're in South Africa. I'm in the Cayman Islands. It makes no difference to us. I mean, zero. Well, I mean, it does make a difference. 90... It does make a difference because the US is one of the biggest markets for, or the biggest potential markets for crypto buying, crypto trading, crypto building. And if they out, it sends a clear message to the rest of the world. Well, A, we're not getting them, their liquidity and their money into crypto, which we're, we're already starting to feel. There's a lot less liquidity as a result of the fact that the US is kind of out and it's just not, not a great environment. It's not a, not a great look for crypto. Yeah, it's not a great look, but you know, I haven't been in this since 2013. I've gone through this so many times and everybody feels miserable. I, I, I can't believe people still feel miserable now and the space is up 80% this year and everyone's still like, oh, it's the end of the world. Nobody loves us. Everybody hates us. Everybody on crypto Twitter's turning on each other, trying to destroy each other. I mean, it's, it's madness. And it's, it's actually boredom that does it while waiting for the cycle to turn. The US stuff, I just think it's noise over time. There will be a regulatory outcome. And I talked about this, I think about maybe a year and a half ago on your show, is these professional negotiators like Genza. Genza has the political side, but he's also a negotiator here for where this space is going to get regulated. He's going to start with no, 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 I hate you all. And we're all going to go, we want total freedom to do anything we want. And the answer will be somewhere in the middle. And it depends which side of the middle we go. 
But um, hold on. So he's I, come out, he's come out and without, he's come out and declared Solana, Cardano, Koti, uh, and many others, many other of our favorite tokens, securities. Up until the point that he's proven otherwise, for people in the US, and I say this because exchanges are now following this and saying, look, we're delisting these tokens because we just don't want to get into a spat with the SEC. This is not our fight to fight. But up until that has changed, and that could be five years from now, I mean, at least five years from now, if you look at, at any type of precedent, for anyone in the US, those are actually securities. I mean, does that not kill Solana in the US, Cardano in the US, any kind of other proof of last stake? Time in I checked, Tesla, last time I checked, Tesla was a security. Yeah, but but you can't use, but but the difference is that you don't need to use Tesla to power a network. You need to use Solana to pay fees on a network. Now, it's not practical for anyone in the US to use, if it's a security, it's not practical for anyone have, in the have US. Have Coinbase delisted it? Coinbase haven't delisted it, but Coinbase haven't delisted it very, very, very specifically. Why? Because what Coinbase are saying is, we're going to take on this fight. We have no choice but to take on this fight. But... Everybody else, Robinhood, Itaro, um, uh, all the other guys, basically delisted it, and or have. And what percentage of the U.S. volume is Coinbase? 70%? Probably, the, probably the majority. Yeah, probably the majority. So you, you know, believe so there's that as well, right? Okay, so how do you see how do you see the Coinbase fight playing out? I mean, first of all. Do, do you think that it goes to court? Do you think it, do you think they get their day in court or do you think they resolve this before court? My guess is Congress resolves this first. It's becoming a political issue and Gensler is under pressure. I think that's why he's approved the BlackRock ETF. We assume he's approved it, which is why everybody's filing because he's going to say, well, look, Bitcoin, I, I'm going to throw them a bone and I'm going to give them a Bitcoin ETF and that will shut them up because he's under a lot of political pressure now. Um, and so I don't think they want the massive political pressure going into the election. So that's what I think is going on. And I think Congress are going to try and force some sort of ruling. If not, we've got Brad Garlinghouse's case for Ripple that still has to go through. I think there's a decent chance that they will get some more positive outcome. And Coinbase are going to go to, if they don't, if Congress doesn't change anything, they're going to fight to the bitter end. Um, so that means if you're right and it's a five-year thing, well, Coinbase are going to list Solana for five years or okay. these other tokens. Let me ask you another question. One of the theses that I had and I shared with my community this week is I said, look, if you're scared of playing altcoins, but you want exposure to altcoins, for me, probably the best altcoin to be exposed to is Coinbase. And the reason why I say that is because Coinbase is a proxy for the crypto market and specifically the crypto market in the United States. Uh, it's got a $13 billion market cap right now. If there's any player that's actually going to win this, it is Coinbase because they have $5 billion in cash. They're quite well capitalized. Um, and instead of picking the altcoins, instead of worrying about which ones are securities and not securities, just buy Coinbase. You got yourself a proxy for every single altcoin that will ever trade in the United States um, and possibly beyond. Have you ever considered or looked at buying Coinbase adding and adding it to your portfolio? Yeah, no, I've got it as part of a, a basket already. So I completely agree with that thesis. You always want to own the gatekeepers um, where where people have to pay a toll to access. So the exchanges are always a good bet. Um, so it makes total sense to me. And it's, a, you know, Coinbase is not expensive. I know there's quite a few bears out there who don't like it, think it's going to go bust, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Mark Cahodis of this world. 
Um, yeah, we know. But I, th I think it's a decent piece. What do you think of Binance? I mean, would you buy Binance now? Would you buy the BNB token? It's not one for me. I don't, you know, there's too much opaqueness around it. Um, it's just not one for me. I think I, I like Coinbase. The people there, I know the Coinbase people very well. They're super high quality. They've built a great business, got a great institutional business. You know, even the BlackRock ETF, surprise, surprise, who's the custodian? Coinbase. Coinbase. You know, it's a high quality operation. Um, so I think if anybody survives this, mm. it's them. And if anybody flourishes on the other side of this, it's them. Because almost everybody else, all the small exchanges are being forced out of the US because well. they don't want to deal with the regulation. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Exactly. They don't have enough money to deal with the regulation. So they, they, they're not really a part of it. Also, if you think about Coinbase's approach, it's been slow and steady. Always, always. They haven't gone after fast profits. They've always gone after making, making sure that they could be as close to what they thought was the law as possible. Uh, Binance took the other approach. They went fast, they broke things, and I think they said, look, we'll deal with the implications later, whatever the implications are. I kind of get the feeling that that's what happened. And now what you're getting is you're getting Binance being challenged in places like France, the UK, Netherlands, they closed down in Netherlands, they're out of Canada, they're out of Australia. And you got Coinbase actually going into Canada. You got Coinbase applying for all these licenses now. So to me, it's like, it's almost like right now, Binance, too many headwinds for me. I thought the token was fully priced. I dumped all my Binance. I bought Coinbase. I, I did it publicly on my show. And I kind of did a very public switch saying, I think that Coinbase is the one that I want to be backing going forward. Binance was cool. But when, when, it was, when the time to break things happened, I was in Binance. But now I think the time is to do things slow and steady with the law. And I think for me, that's very much a, a Coinbase thing. Yeah, also, I think the world is going to polarize that the Western world, the predominant player will be Coinbase. Yeah. And in Asia, Latin America, the predominant one will be Binance and maybe Africa as well. So it kind of I think the world's going to split because, you know, Coinbase is the largest entity in the West to do this. And Binance is the largest entity in the East. It kind of makes sense. Mm. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, the ETF. As you mentioned correctly, that uh, Coinbase, that BlackRock partnered up with Coinbase as their partner exchange, also their their partner custodian. Uh, BlackRock five hundred and seventy five approvals, one denial. SEC 30, 30, 31, 32, 33 denials of a Bitcoin spot ETF. Obviously zero approvals. I get the feeling that BlackRock were very very calculated. I don't think that BlackRock would have applied for an ETF that they would have that they thought that they could possibly lose. I also get the feeling that Larry Fink in the pecking order is a little bit higher than Gary Gensler. You know, I just feel like, you know, you know, like there are there are ranks, they gotta be ranks. I just feel that that Gary Gensler is a, maybe a Larry Fink pawn at best. Um how do you see it? I mean, do you do you feel the same way? Do you think it was a strategic move by by BlackRock? I think it was a strategic move by Gensler. I think he, as I said, is under political pressure and he needs to throw a bone to Congress and everybody else to say, I'm not just being objectionable. You know, I, I, I am going to allow innovation, but only Bitcoin and only with a massive financial institution. So he's throwing Wall Street a bone, which is this point you're raising about where Larry Fink is in the pecking order. He's throwing Wall Street a bone and he's politically trying to cover his ass. So, yes, I think 
there's been a secret nod, which is, Larry, if you want to do this, we'd support it. And I'm guessing that a few others have been given the nod, and it's very difficult then not to allow the other Bitcoin ETFs. Um, so net-net, it's a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, so we've got uh, five ETFs. We've got BlackRock, Fidelity, Invesco, Wisdom Tree, and Valkyrie. What we saw is that BlackRock is a new filing, Valkyrie is a new filing, but the rest were just resubmissions of old filings, which kind of means, you know, these old filings, usually the SEC says them, please withdraw your application so we don't have to deny it. Now they like refile it because they don't want, you know, they, want, they don't want to be left behind. Question. There, it, there has been all this hype on Twitter about what the GLD ETF did to the gold price and how, you know, when GLD launched, that was the beginning of an insane um, uh, run. And a lot of people are saying that because BlackRock have such great distribution and such great incentive structures for people, to, for, their, for their base to sell their products, that this is going to do the same thing or could possibly do the same thing for, for crypto. Now, what, why I'm asking this is because it's very easy for us to get caught up in this crypto bros, crypto Twitter narrative. You know, like, uh, you know, this, we're going to get an ETF, we're going to get all this institutional money. Do you really think that this ETF is, opens up the, the, I don't know, the big, the big flow into Bitcoin? Or is this just another one of these, you know, crypto Twitter just blows a narrative completely out of proportion? Um, I'm just pulling up the chart. DXY. I think the reason gold did so well, yes, it did. The reason gold did so well back in uh, when that ETF was launched was the dollar was collapsing. Okay, the gold so is kind of inverse of the dollar. So, so yes, therefore, the market will obviously invest in a product like that. So it's really a matter of price. Institutions, RAAs, investment advisors won't buy it if the price is not good. It's not like, oh my God, we can now buy Bitcoin. But if the price is going up like it is now, yes, it'll bring much more capital into the space. So all of these guys are sheep. Pretty much everybody in the financial markets are sheep. They're all momentum traders. So if we've got momentum, if the dollar is weakening a bit, and if the BlackRock ETF then comes out, yeah, that's, that's going to attract a lot of capital. If it was three months ago and they launched it, it would have attracted nothing. <laughs> because, you know, you've seen that with G GBTC, the discount is a function of the lack of flows coming into that. And it's just been widening and widening and widening because there's no flow coming into it. So, I mean, other than, I mean, the GBTC has got 2% uh, management fees per year. Also, you can buy the shares on the open market. You, you can't redeem the shares for the actual, for the actual Bitcoin. Do you think that an ETF is really that different in the eyes of an institution? Or do you think that an institution said, look, if I wanted exposure to Bitcoin, I could have bought GBTC. I probably couldn't have bought Bitcoin, Bitcoin, because we haven't approved custodians in our, in our process flows and stuff like that. But I have approved, you have got um, uh, uh, GBTC, which is approved. Do you think they see the two as equal? Or do you think that an ETF would like open up a whole new... A bunch of capital coming in? Well, as long as the ETF doesn't trade like a closed end fund, you're okay. Because it's the discounts and premiums to NAV that's the real problem for people. And also, an ETF for most people is more like an equity, while the GBTC is more like a fund. 
Okay. So, so they just want to see whatever it is on their screen, trade it as a normal stock. People are lazy. I mean, people just generally are lazy and people will generally follow momentum. So if you make it easy and momentum's rising, it's going to work without question. And BlackRock have the Aladdin system, which is, you know, their kind of major system for all of the products and everything else. That is used by a lot of RAAs, a lot of capital allocators. So once you've got the product on that, okay, that's pretty useful for people as well. So we will see, it's just the access that I can do it via BlackRock. It's kind of, it means it's sanctioned by the state and everything's okay. I mean, that takes a lot of uncertainty out of Bitcoin, right? Do you think that, I mean, if you could have picked your, your, your fighter, if you could have picked your, your best soldier to do the task, and we, would have, we were to ask you like a year ago, who do you think, um, which entity would you like to win the first Bitcoin ETF? Do you agree with me that we couldn't have picked a better winner than, than, than BlackRock? From a distribution point of view, from an access to funds from point of view, from a credibility point of view, I just can't imagine a better scenario. I mean, surely it's better than getting... Yeah, if you take your emotions out of what you want the space to be and you want the new up-and-coming people, you know, bitwise, because I like Hunter and stuff like that, but you're right. If I want the space to attract capital and get larger global recognition, BlackRock is exactly the right person to do it. What's the counter? What's the counter argument? What, what's the part that we... When you say take your, take your emotions out, what's the, where did the emotions come in? Well, the emotions come in that BlackRock is at the epicenter of the global financial system. It's like Goldman Sachs launching an ETF on, on Bitcoin. And people want to wrestle this away from the, from the existing incumbents, and I think rightly so. I mean, the whole reason for this space is to create a parallel financial system. And what they're trying to do is bring in just as a regular asset into the system. And I can understand why, you know, at an emotional level, I don't really like BlackRock doing this, but for a bags level and for an adoption level of the space overall, yes, it helps. But, but I don't understand. You know, the I, narrative of, of changing the system, this is not changing the system. But why? I mean, if you want, the, the way I see it is, if BlackRock want to bring in their money and buy Bitcoin and store Bitcoin centrally, because that's what they do with, with all their stuff, great. If I want to own Bitcoin and store the keys myself, also great. I see a lot of people on Twitter with the same, you know, the same opinion as you, like, we don't want BlackRock here. We don't want BlackRock to buy our bags. I don't, I don't really care who buys my bags. In fact, the more money, say, the better. I didn't say that. I said, emotionally, I would love to see it differently. Yeah. But I think it's exactly the right answer is BlackRock. So I'm with you. Yeah. I don't really want everything to be custodied at a centralized level in a global financial institution. But I'm willing to accept that for the extra adoption because the space will figure it out over time. More people will self-custody stuff. More people will do other things, build on top of the network. So, no, I'm, I, think it's, I think it's great news. Yeah, I must say, the more I think about it, the more I'm happy that it, it, it's BlackRock. I want BlackRock to be the first. I think it brings the most credibility into our space. You, know, you can say, well, there is a, a, a Bitcoin ETF. What do you think about an ETH ETF? Do you think, how far away do you think we are from an ETH, an ETH ETF? Right now, fucking miles away. Um, although I do think there's probably a lot of institutional interest in ETH. And I've talked about this before because of the yielding properties of it. And because the narrative is not so much about 
here's a new global money, we're going to fight the system. It's like, here's a technology, you can use it. So that's much easier for most investment committees at institutional level to agree with and to have an asset, a long duration asset that has a 5% yield. People like that. But I don't think that the US is even close to allowing uh, ETH yet. And, you know, knowing how these people work is even if they did, they wouldn't give you the yield. So BlackRock would take the yield from you and you just get the price appreciation. It becomes a very attractive product for them to do something like that because they get kind of implied 5%. It's what they do with stock so, borrowing and other ETFs. Having said that, I remember the last time that I asked you whether if you had $10,000, if you'd put into Bitcoin, if you'd put into ETH, at the time you said to me you were backing ETH. Your ETH was your preferred soldier for the hold. Now I'm asking you the same question this time around. The regulatory environment has changed. Um, Bitcoin is on a tear. If I were to give you the same question, I'd say to you, you can, only, you can only back one horse. You can't back both horses. Your holding period is two years. Are you backing Bitcoin or are you backing ETH? Same answer. ETH. I'm a very long-term time horizon guy. I don't change stuff around. And my thesis is when I look at the monthly chart, on a log scale of the Bitcoin ETH, ETH Bitcoin cross, it's a big wedge pattern. I know what drives the ETH Bitcoin cross. It's driven by um, the business cycle and where you are in the liquidity cycle. We're at the turning point where we should start to see over the next coming couple of months, ETH starting to massively outperform. It's, you know, I've, I've written about this in um, several of my Global Macro Investor and Real Vision Pro Macro articles. Um, and so it's just a matter of time to me. Now, how this works, Ran, is pretty straightforward. Let's say BlackRock ETF. Money comes into the space. Money gets recycled. It flows into other stuff. These things have a smaller market cap and a less liquid. So the alts do that. It's the same that happens in emerging market stocks, credit, junk bonds. It's always the same. So as you move out of US treasuries into bonds, into emerging market bonds, the least liquid ones rally the most. So that, what do you that's think, what I think happens. What do you think the time frame is for ETH to start outperforming Bitcoin? I mean, right now, arguably, you could say right now, the best bet for the short term is Bitcoin, right? Certainly for the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, two months, it just feels like Bitcoin's got much more momentum. Or am I wrong? Uh, yes, it does. Um, and let me just pull up my chart on this one sec. It's a pity I can't share your screen today because of this new system. But if you tell me which chart you're looking at, I can also call it up. Well, no, I'm using the DMARC just to have a look ah. at the um, ETH Bitcoin cross and see where we are on the weekly. Because it'll give us a rough idea of when we get to the bottom. Yeah, it's still got a while to go. So I think you're probably right. Another few months um, before we start to see the pattern base out and this revert. That's that's my best guess. Um, and again, I'm so long term, I don't really care because yeah. I'm like, I know you're not a trader over time. I, I know you're not a trader. I know you're not a trader. You're a much more macro, you're a much more long term macro investor. But if you were a trader, would you would you would you go into Bitcoin now and then kind of wait for a little bit more of a run and then just watch the charts and then and then maybe switch into ETH? Or is it just not worth the additional return? Um. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's probably if there's a bit, there's been a bit of return. I mean, there's been 20% difference over the course of this year. So 20% is a reasonable amount. Does that trend continue ad infinitum? 
I don't know. You know, is there another 20% in it? Probably not. So if you want to move around some tokens for a 10% gain, go for it. But I just find, you know, once you've just had a God candle like this week where it's up 20%, it's like the 10% extra, it's just a lot of hassle for a limited gain. Just the space itself as well. So yeah, that's the chart. So if you, so zoom, zoom out again. Okay. And then join. Uh, and, I've got it. Let me just, let me just. Reset yeah, it's that basically a big wedge pattern. I, so that one, you're talking about so that. It's not only that wedge. You're talking about that, this wedge. From the so, highs in 2017, 18. So it's from there, that kind of. It's kind of, about, yeah, it's like somewhere that. around here. It's on my trading view. I'm thinking I've got different prices. I'm not sure which is the source, but it's different, but it's that. I can't see it. If on you your take screen. out, put it on a line chart and get rid of those spikes. So get rid of the, the candle, okay. uh, get rid of the open, high, low close or the candles. Okay. So put it onto a line chart and yeah. Go. How's that? Okay. That is, that's your, basically your wedge. Yes. So you're waiting for the break of that and wedge. We're getting... Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. It's, it's, there's not much time left for this to make a decision, right? No, it depends where you draw the bottom, because if you were to draw, draw that 2016 low, you actually get a slightly lower part of the wedge. So you're saying that would be... No, up, up from there, up, up from, from there. Okay, so you're going to this one. Yeah, and then, yeah. Okay, I'd have to, I'd have to draw this exactly. a little bit more scientifically, but, but, I, but I, think I, I think I get the point here. Um, so that's ETH, I want to ask so you... So that's a, a compression, right? Yes. So regardless of the perfect wedge or not perfect wedge, that's a compression of a range. The moves that we've seen are small, right? That correction in the ETH Bitcoin cross has been small. Generally speaking, if you were to get a measured move from this, I mean, it kind of suggests that ETH does two or three X Bitcoin in the next cycle, which also kind of makes sense. So really it's about when you hit the kind of crypto summer zone, ETH will outperform, it'll break the wedge, and then we'll see a much larger narrative around it. I must be honest, I'm feeling really uncomfortable buying altcoins now and specifically like buying the altcoins that I think are the best. And I use Solana as an example. Like I think Solana, I try and disprove my theory. I keep saying to myself, if I want a fast layer one with low fees, with high latency, where everything settles on chain, where do I go? I keep. Yes. And so I bought Solana into the chaos of last year, um, both in June and then the FTX, you know, the end of the year. Mm. And I think it's the same thing now is like, you know, if it gets another leg lower, it's a gift because of the points that you raise is that the network activity is very good. This is, there's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of people doing stuff. So that's the idea for me is, is like, if we get better prices, I love it. I missed that last dip that we had, what, a couple of weeks ago. That was a shame because that was a gift when it went back down to, what, 12 and a half, 13. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, and then we'll be right back. I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that, you know, if you think Solana is going to 200 or 300, 
or it's becoming a proper network, whether you bought it at, it's the same way as I, as I view my Bitcoin. I remember, I remember deciding whether I should pay 590 or 700 and 700 was very, very, very expensive. And 590 was where I wanted to pay and never got back to $590. Today, it doesn't really matter. It's like $30,000. It doesn't really matter whether you bought it at 590, 600, 620. I just think if your long-term thesis is that this thing is going to be the, the prominent fast layer one, what's the difference? Buy it at 12, buy it at 13, buy it at 15. It's not the end of it. It's all, it's all ego at that point. It's like, oh, I caught the lows. There's nothing, you know, you're dead right, right? Anything, yeah. if, you know, if we're right and Solana does what ETH did in 2018 onwards, you know, it's 45X. So does it matter if you make a 30X? No. Um, so obviously it does compound quite a lot from cheaper prices, but no, it doesn't make a difference. So it's just ego of like, yeah, you know, I caught the low and I'm, I'm brave enough to ignore the FUD and take the opposite view. So tell me what else you're looking at when it comes to altcoins. I know that you, you've always been a Bitcoin and then you went into ETH. And then I think you went into Sol. Uh, and then there was a period where you were analyzing sentiment. I remember you used to, to send those tweets out to analyze sentiment, to see where the, where the communities were moving and where the masses were moving. What else, do you, what else are you getting into? What else are you thinking may be a, a good buy at the moment? So I, my general view on this is I have no edge when it goes to smaller stuff. I just don't have an edge. I just don't have the ability to focus on it. I set up an asset management firm, Exponential Age Asset Management, to deal with this because that that's a fund of hedge funds. And we invest in digital asset hedge funds because those guys spend all day, 24 hours a day, staring at the screens, looking at what the opportunities are. And it's better to give it to somebody who knows what they're doing than somebody like me who doesn't know what it's doing when you're going further out the risk curve. I just don't know. So it becomes a crapshoot for me because I'm just not as focused, for example, as you are in the space where, I've, you know, where, where I'm really looking at those kind of opportunities because I'm a more macro guy. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think it's great that you, that you have the, the courage to say that. I mean, it's, 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 it's great to hear that you just say, look, I'm a Bitcoin ETH. I can go down to Seoul, but that's where I stop. And, and then I ride the macro yeah, I've set. Got, I've, got some, I've got some stuff, you know. I've got some leftover stuff. I've got a bit of Matic. I've got a bit of, you know, I've got some stuff, but... It's not meaningful positions. It's really just to keep it on my radar screen. But I just don't have an edge. So I just, I'm not that guy. So you're playing the index. I mean, I, I guess you could say you're playing the crypto index. But playing Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, you're pretty much playing the index. Solana's maybe a little bit of yeah, your, I'm, your, your... I'm still 85% ETH. You know, 10%. You know, it's like maybe 80% 80, 80 ETH. The rest really Solana and a small amount of Bitcoin. I don't own much Bitcoin. So I want to I want to go into something different. You keep talking about the Fed and you keep talking about the macro cycle and you keep telling me that you base your your analysis and your theory about global liquidity and the macro cycle. Let's start with the first thing. So Powell didn't raise rates for the first time in I think 11 meetings. It was the first time that they never raised rates. I think it was, I think it was 11 meetings. If, if I, I may be wrong. He did hedge his bets and say that we all expect there to be rate hikes. In fact, if I remember correctly, they spoke about um, the dot plot and the dot plot was what shocked the market because, you know, people were talking about uh, the dots being much higher on the dot plot and a much higher terminal rate. What do you, what do you think about where Powell is with interest rates? Do you think it's, do you think we're done? 
or do you think we've really just taken a break and it's back to business again in uh, in July's meeting? I think we're done, but we need some proof of it being done. We need unemployment to keep rising, which it's doing. It always lags the cycle. The if you look at inflation, we look at the you know everybody looks at the true inflation numbers, and they're at two point three four percent this morning. I think so. Inflation is over. Core inflation always lags. So I don't know what battle they're fighting here. Um, so I think the highest probability is that they're done. So you and think that you if think you that remember this, last time they would. What happened at the Fed? What happened at the Fed at the meeting when all the Fed officials actually went higher up the risk curve? What, what do you think happened? If, if you think they're done, I think that. I think for that, it's those that odds will move around what economic data we get. So I don't know what did we get the. Um, we haven't got CPI the, uh, yet. We haven't got CPI yet. No, but look at the global manufacturing PMI that just came out. It's at 46.3, which is full recession territory. So, you know, if the ISM, my view is the ISM, which is about the same level, 46 point something, I think it'll end up being somewhere in the low 40s. I mean, that's that's a good enough signal there's ever been that the Fed need to stop. I mean, all of my forward-looking indicators show inflation is imploding. All of them show that uh, unemployment is about to rise. All of them show that rents are going to come down. All of them show that wages are going to come down. I don't see what everybody's talking about. People are just pulling up a chart of the 1970s and saying, oh, that inflation is going to come back differently because they're trying to impose a narrative. But, I mean, I, I hear you. The market's saying, and Paul also said that, you know, we're probably going to increase rates. Not only that, we're going to hold rates steady for a long time. He actually used... In, in one of the interviews, he actually used the terminology like for a couple of years or, or something like that before we actually bring it down. What forces them to bring it down? What, it's what? always the same thing. They, they've got two mandates, inflation and unemployment. So as inflation comes down, they'll be itchy triggered. And when unemployment rises, they'll be panicking. It's always the same. And I've been in this business 32 years and it has never been different. Okay, so I mean, they will I, just, they I, just lag. I'm watching the unemployment numbers and unemployment numbers are going down, but they're going down really slowly. Do you think like, do you think AI makes a big difference here? Do you think all of a sudden we get this cliff of unemployment because AI technology has like come into itself and you now have call center agents no longer required. You have you know, copywriters no longer required. You have designers no longer required because AI is doing all of this. Or do you think that that's, we're not going to feel the AI in the, in the real numbers? I think we'll feel the AI in the upcycle afterwards. I think unemployment will be stickier than people imagine. So employment growth won't come back as fast. So usually out of a recession, you kind of see unemployment rise and then comes back down again. We'll probably see that slower because of this job destruction by AI that it's harder to get. And then we'll probably see new businesses new business formation picking up as people try and figure out how do I get employed? You know, that kind of stuff. Because you can't go and work in an Amazon warehouse anymore either because they're employing robots. Yeah, I mean, soon there's going to be an AI doing the show. And I bet you the AI is going to be doing the show way better than, than I do the show. In fact, I actually want to show you something really cool. Um, hold on, I actually want to show you something which, I don't know, maybe you can do the same thing and it'll change your business. Like I think it's going to change our business. Uh, I have to show you this because I think it's super cool. 
So we, we tested an AI in Spanish um, with my voice, with my voice. Just, I mean, I don't know if you can, James, can we play this? 30, y lo que es aún más sorprendente es que si usted piensa de nuevo en las semanas, que tenía los nombres más grandes en la inversión y los nombres más grandes en cripto diciéndonos que potencialmente es hora de salir de cripto. De hecho, incluso uno de los mayores VCs en Silicon Valley, Jason Calacanis, dijo, si estás en cripto, pivota. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, we, we've, just to be clear here, we've piloted this in Arabic because my grand only speak, well, my grand grew up speaking Arabic, so I had to do something for in Arabic. We can launch an Arabic channel like this. We've piloted it in Korean. You should see me speaking Korean. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm so good at Korean. It's actually unbelievable. And that costs us less than a dollar a minute to produce. I mean, you, you, I know. It's, it's so we're at Real Vision, we're just building out an entire new platform experience that's going to launch over this summer. A lot of it is the experimentation of what we're doing with AI. So, so wait, we're that's actually. A bunch of people. That is something that I want that I want to talk to you about. So I know there's big things happening at Real Vision, and we never. When you come on here, we never. We always talk about the macro. We always talk about the tokens. We always talk about everything else. And I forget to ask how my friend Ral's doing in his business and what you guys are actually doing in your business. And usually we save that for a call afterwards. But I mean, now that we're here and you've brought it up and everyone's here, maybe just tell us what's going on. What we're what we've been working on for three years and really building for the last year or so, we've rebuilt our entire tech stack um, and are creating a platform for community knowledge and all of the tools that you need. So I don't want to give too much away of it, but AI is a big part of it. You know, it's also fully Web3 integrated as well. It'll roll out over time. There's a lot of work that needs to get done. So the first iteration, people, mem Real Vision members will get it relatively soon, but we're looking at lots of things with AI, like how can we train an AI on my knowledge base and the knowledge base of the people in the Real Vision network that is proprietary information that doesn't exist elsewhere? You know, we've got 7,000 hours of transcripts from hour-long interviews with everybody from Stan Druckermiller to, you know, we've got a ton of stuff. So what can we do to add, to augment people's lives, to augment their knowledge? So we're doing a lot around that a lot around what can we do with content? How can we personalize content? So Rand gets a different news show than I do. That's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. Also insights, helping you digest what's in a piece of content. Because not, right now, if you, I don't know if you've done this, stick a video from YouTube straight into ChatGPT, the link. Okay. And say, give me a summary. Yeah, we've done that. And it summarizes the summarize bloody, it. Yeah, the bloody we'd, video. We'd... Yeah, we do that a lot. We do that a lot because we don't. Sometimes in the show we we get breaking news and we don't get time to summarize the breaking news and we just put it in there. Um, you can actually do it with Powell's Fed meeting, and it, it, I mean the the outcome of the Powell Fed meeting is is unbelievable from what from from ChatGPT. Does it scare you or do you see it as an opportunity? Like, I mean, on the one hand, both. <laughs> both. Yeah, both. I mean, it's. I mean, Ran, don't forget, somebody can take all of your videos, create a, a AI Ran and start their own channel. And there's pretty much fuck all you can do about it. Well, I'm more worried about somebody taking my my voice as you've just seen, because my my bank works on voice recognition. When I talk to my bank, it works on voice recognition. That's that's how they verify me. That, and you, if you can get the AI to talk Spanish, you can get the AI to talk to my banker. I mean, I, that, that part petrifies me. 
Well, also just think of reputationally, right? You've got a lot of following. Somebody creates a fake RAN and pumps some token. And there's, there's so little you can do about that. I mean, people haven't got their heads and plexity of what this means. You know, you're boasting how fast you can do a Spanish version of, of, of RAN. And I'm thinking, well, I can just get RAN to pump tokens for me. And he's never going to know. He can't if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, will you phone me so I can give you a list of tokens that you can pump and then we can, we can, <laughs> we can, we can coordinate, we can coordinate, we can coordinate. Yeah. Well, listen, um, you, know, you, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the danger is, is somebody can take me and make me say anything. Somebody can take Joe Biden and make him say, we're going to nuke Russia tomorrow. That's yeah. We and can. we can't prove it. Yeah, we can. I do want to talk to you about one more thing, and I know we are running out of time, but you, you, you keep talking about global liquidity. You, keep, you sound like you're a bear, a bull on global liquidity. You feel that global liquidity is about to explode. I think I've even read tweets where you've said it's going to explode for the, until for the next decade or something. What makes you so bullish that we're getting into such a big liquidity cycle? I know Japan is, is putting money into the system and now starting to suffer an inflation problem. Um, what makes you so bullish on liquidity? So I've done a lot of work on this over the years, and it all came together in something called the Everything Code. You hear me allude to it. You hear people talk about it. I've done a few podcasts on some of it. But what I've basically figured out is that I think liquidity in terms of central bank balance sheets is forecastable out okay. to two or three years. And asset prices like the NASDAQ is correlated 97% with our liquidity indices. And therefore, if I can forecast liquidity out two years, I can forecast the NASDAQ, Bitcoin, Ethereum out for two years. Now, it's still a hypothesis, but it is based around an enormous amount of work about what happened after 2008, that every, I think the big reset that everybody's waiting for happened in 2008. All debts, were basically forgiven by saying all interest rates are going to zero. So you don't have no burden to pay your debt. Everybody reset their debts in 2008 and every and they all reset them into three to five years, every government and most corporations. So what you've got is the economy now every three and a half years rolls over as you come through the debt cycle and every three and a half years, all of the interest due on the debts gets monetized by the central banks. So they're all monetizing. And I've tested it out and done a load of work. The US, the UK, the EU, Japan, they're all doing the same thing. They're just monetizing the interest payments on the debts, which means they've got a credit card to pay off their credit card interest payments. And that's debasement of currency. So it's not really liquidity I'm talking about. Liquidity is a proxy. It's actually the debasement of currency that's the predominant driver. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're using liquidity. You're saying liquidity is automatic because your currencies are just becoming less and less valuable. And so you just keep, you're just paying more and more debt, taking on more and more debt, basically. Yep. And it's a mechanized process of which I've pretty much proved it in the everything code that it's happening and come across it different ways and then proved out that I can probably forecast it into the future because it's so cyclical right now because of this debt cycle of all of the debt being rolled. And I've, and therefore, I can probably forecast asset prices as well. And they're pretty shocking. I'm not going to give it away, but it's, it's pretty shocking what it gives 
ETH Bitcoin so of the NASDAQ. Where, for where this can year. we get this? Where can we get this? I mean, you say you're not going to give it away, but I mean, you, you, you're teasing us. And no, because I mean, look, part of this is from Global Macro Investor, which is my institutional research office. That's where it came from. And that's the culmination of 18 years of work, but that's tens of thousands of dollars um, to get a subscription for. At Real Vision, however, the Pro Macro guys, and I think there's an offer coming on Pro Macro, are getting the whole thing. Yes, it's delayed after the Global Macro Investor people had it several months ago. But also the first part of the article was free on Real Vision day before yesterday. Um, so anybody just, you can arbitrage it, but just do, go to Real Vision. I think it's a dollar go to Real Vision. Can we put a link to Real Vision? Is there already a link to Real Vision? Let's put a link to Real Vision below so people know where to go. Because, I mean, people are going to watch this, believe it right. or not. So we can we can get them to, to we can just put a link for, for everybody to, to, to do that. Yeah, just realvision.com. Take the free trial. I'll take the trial. I think it's a dollar. But the point being is this is, and I'm not trying to exaggerate. It's the most important thing I've ever written. It's a culmination of 19 years of work. It's a hypothesis. You know, I'm not saying the everything code is fact, mm -hmm. but I feel like I've made a huge breakthrough that nobody else has made. So let's see. Yeah. Well, listen, I know we've got to jump on a call, actually, because we've got some big things to talk about. Um, so first of all, thank you for coming back on Banter. I actually prefer this format, this one on one format. I think it's it's so cool just to chat to you one on one for an hour. Usually we have a banter and there's, there's lots of people and Dan's usually having problems with his connection and, and, and whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I, like, yeah. I prefer this format because you can just meaningfully chat about stuff and catch yeah. up properly. Yeah, it feels so, more authentic. Hundred percent. So, well, we will do it again. Uh, I'm going to put you in the waiting room while I say cheers to to the fam. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to RealVision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.